She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Now, Stacy Washington. On the left, it's pure politics. They're playing, they're playing with people's lives. Again, American citizens and people who legitimately want to come here who aren't criminals. They're playing with their lives for politics. And by the way, the Democrats have this wrong. Because in Texas, and I ran on a very strong border security campaign four years ago as lieutenant governor, and I got nearly 50% of the Hispanic vote. Hispanic Americans want this same protection. They want law and order. They don't want hardened criminals crossing the border into their neighborhoods, and a lot of this crime goes on in their neighborhoods. They, so they the Republicans also, they, need they to get also, a backbone and change. Yes, ahead, yeah, they, sorry, they also want people to follow the laws. I mean, I've spoken with yes. legal immigrants who said I waited in line, waited my turn, and I'm very proud to be an American. Absolutely. And they are proud. And there are more people who want to come to this country. We are a country of immigrants. We in the Republican Party honor legal immigration. But the president has to get the funding for this wall. McConnell has to change the rules. And the voters in this country in November have to be sure that we don't lose Congress to the Democrats. Uh, yeah. So that's Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who uh, he's fired up. And you know why? Because they have a lot of crime on the border between Mexico and Texas and they have a lot of their citizens who are just it's it's like a war zone down there and they don't get any support because you know they're Texas and I'm I'm into it I was born in Texas I'm into it I'm like I got Texas fever I've always had it always will um I love me some Texas it's awesome it, like just we we'll talk about it in a whole another segment about that gas station they have down there if y'all y'all know what I'm talking about if you're in Texas right now god bless you cuz y'all do everything extra um, so Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has been really he's been a, a very strong voice. And he said, you know, the, the, the Republicans need to get a backbone. And and they do. Uh, what are the Republicans doing right now? Why are they not strong arming the Democrats? Why are they even letting the Democrats act like they have any control? They spent the ha last 12 months barely doing anything like they don't have control. I know they have a very slim margin and they, they can't. They have two senators in the Senate who they just get picked off so easy. But is it not that they're supposed to be out doing, you know, the smoky backroom deal or whatever it's called and just telling their colleagues, look, not only are you not going to get any money this cycle, but we're not going to be like we're not going to be your friend on on cable news. We're not going to be in the media defending you and acting like you're one of us if you're not with us on immigration. That's a signature issue for the president. If we can't get you on that. We're going to be looking for somebody to primary. We're going to be on somebody else's side. Why is that not happening? So. We're going to go to the phones. If you want to, if you want to talk, 866-963-2037. Let's listen to the rest of this audio. So the first bit you're going to hear is Senator Chuck Grassley missing the fact that E-Verify can be circumvented to, to, via a fake ID in the Molly Tibbetts case. So the guy who killed Molly Tibbetts was an illegal immigrant. What he did was he stole somebody else's identity and created a fake ID. He used that fake ID to circumvent the E-Verify system because he was working for a Republican and the Republican put him through E-Verify. He was able to get a positive uh, approval through E-Verify and start working for this guy. But he was here illegally. So Senator Chuck Grassley talks about the fact that we need universal E-Verify. We do. It would definitely cut down on some of this drama. But it's not going to be a complete fix-all. It's not a catch-all. And then Lieutenant Governor of Texas Dan Patrick comes back on. And starts taking it to CNN and MSNBC. I mean, it's brutal. It's number five. Stricter border security measures 
including increased personnel, enhanced technology, and modernized infrastructure could have prevented this man from crossing the border. In other words, secure the border, stronger interior enforcement, and addressing weaknesses in E-Verify could have prevented this individual from working and would have allowed Immigration Enforcement Authority to initiate removal proceedings years ago. He says E-Verify could have prevented this. And we've passed E-Verify in Texas for all of our government contractors and government contracts, and we will do that for private business as well. We've done it in steps. We've put billions again into border security. We've added 250 state troopers, another Texas Ranger company. We're doing everything we can. And the president is right on this. Look, I've, I've lived this issue as a border lieutenant governor and senator. I've been down there many times. Um, Congress has to act. And, you know, again, the CNNs, the MSNBCs, most of the print media in this country and the Democrats, they are all accomplices in the death of this young girl and the death of everyone else. And then he went on to take on Geraldo Rivera for saying, you know, he, everybody that's on the side of the illegal immigrants is kind of like, oh, well. I mean, would you feel like, oh, well, if your own child died? I, you know, I, I've said that before, but I just don't understand how people can behave this way, how people can act as if this is okay. Um, it's as if they don't have anybody that they love, or maybe they just can't fathom it. What's also interesting is that they don't seem to care that she was a, she was a bit of a liberal, this girl, Molly Tibbet. You know, so she's technically, because they're, we're so factionalized in this country, she's kind of technically one of theirs. But people on the right seem to care more about her death than people on the left. And she was, you know, politically aligned with them. It's just, it's so odd. It's hard to really, like, it's, you're sitting there and you're thinking, is this real? It is. It's definitely real. And it's just, it's what's happening in this country because we don't have a sealed border. We're never going to, let, let's, let's, because we need a reality check. Because I'm so tired of people saying, well, if we built a wall, they'll just fly over it. Since when have illegal immigrants been flying over walls in, in this? I mean, they've climbed over them, but they haven't flown over them. They're not that advanced yet. And they'll just tunnel under it. Well, the new walls have a provision. It's rebar and a bunch of stuff that's sunken under the ground. So instead of having a regular footing like a fence, the fence is actually below ground as well as above ground. Catch up. Catch up with the technology. We're not talking about building a fence here. We're talking about building a wall, a technologically advanced interactive wall. That's what we want. We have that kind of technology and everything else. Why don't we have it at the border? Second of all, we're never going to be able to stop everyone from coming here illegally. So we're never going to have a 100% effective rate. But right now we're at like zero. So how about if we get a little bit above that? How about if we shoot for maybe stopping 50% of the illegal immigration or 50% of the physical base, like crossing borders based, and then stopping all of the visa overstays? I mean, that should be pretty simple for us to do in a nation like ours with our technological advances. We should be able to say to somebody, your visa has expired. I don't know how you're still working here. You need to get out. There's something smoking back to your country once every 24 hours. That's how it is in this country. You can fly from any point in this country out of the country. All you got to do is buy yourself a plane ticket, and within 24 hours, you are in another country. Mm -hmm. Even the most far-flung areas of the world, you can get there from out of our country because we have a billion flights a year. So 
you can find something to get on that's smoking hot and get on up out of here. Go- goodbye. You need to go. Not because I'm xenophobic or afraid of you, but because you have overstayed your visa. They don't allow that in Germany. I can't just, as much as I love Germany, I grew up there and I've been back there since I grew up. And every time I go, I just breathe in that German air and I look at all of those, you know, hundreds of years old these buildings are. Because here in America, everything's relatively new. But in Germany, everything is old. Like they have skyscrapers and stuff, but in the towns, all of those buildings are so old. And so you're walking around and the grass is green. It's super green. It's a lush country. And Germans are interesting people. They are not like Americans. And so every time I'm in Germany, I, I'm, my heart is there. I love that country. So let's say I get over there and I'm enjoying myself. I'm just, I'm spending time with long lost friends and I'm shopping and I'm buying up all the German candy that I can get my hands on, even though I'm off sugar. And I'm just doing it up in high style. And my visa to be there is for the normal tourist visa, you know, so I'm supposed to be there for about 120 days. And then I'm just enjoying myself so much. I get a job babysitting somebody's kid. So I'm off book, you know, getting paid in cash and in, in, uh, euros. And I'm just still there. Do you think the German authorities are going to say, oh, she came here in love or she's black. We can't deport her. Or the thing is, she's a German citizen. She's just undocumented. No, those Germans will have me at the Frankfurt airport, the Frankfurt International Airport with the plane tickets so fast. I'm telling you, they don't play. And it's not just Germany. The country to our immediate south. In Mexico, any citizen can arrest you and take you to the jail and have you incarcerated if you're in the country illegally. They don't even play around with all this immigration and customs enforcement, border patrol enforcement, homeland security, all these agencies. They don't have time for that. They don't have the money either. What they do is they just say any citizen, if you know someone's here illegally, in other words, if they're not giving you a kickback for being here illegally, you can take them to jail. Look how long they kept uh, Tamarisi. He drove into Mexico by accident. He got lost. They apprehended him and held him in jail they wouldn't even let him go and Barack Obama was so hardcore he was like well he shouldn't have got lost that's what GPS is for he barely even tried to get the guy out he was in jail for a long time again how is that right if you believe in fairness you should be you should be just enraged that anybody would be allowed to go to jail and you know they're innocent or anybody would be place in solitary confinement like Manafort for a white collar crime. You should just be upset by that. So you know how it is when you're, when you're, uh, you're, you're praying about something, you're like, Oh, you know, I would like to know yada, yada, yada. And you know, God is faithful. He will let you know. And I was wondering why we have so much of this going on. We have a Christian nation largely, you know, in large part, although many, Many, many of us are as Christians are cultural Christians, and so that's why we don't have power and authority and we don't have uh, victory in our lives. And when we are looking at what's happening in the border where these people are coming over our border and we're the strongest nation on earth, um, we, are, we, we are militarily supreme, yet we have illegals overrunning this country and killing our citizens, raping them, kidnapping them, et cetera, et cetera. And I just wondered, you know, 
why is this happening? And I feel like then, then of course, I'm reading one of my favorite books about prayer. And as I'm reading it, I realized, because the, 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 se- the chapter that I just happened to be reading about was fasting. So prayer and fasting moves the hand of God. And then historical times, recent and biblical times, when nations were under attack or threat of attack, they would fast and pray and the Lord would protect them. And so America's Christians, we are called to fast and to pray for the, for, for the protection of our nation, but also for, um, you know, a good government, good uh, just for justice to, to be to be done, regardless of political party. If you're a Christian, you want justice to be done regardless of who is, you know, like Paul Manafort, as much as I wanted him to be innocent, like um, like Ms. Duncan was talking about the juror. They found him to be guilty on those eight charges because the evidence supported his guilt. And so, you know, I, I stand by that, not because I saw the evidence, but because a jury of his peers found him guilty. And so that, that is where we have to be, regardless of political ideology. And so in, in that same vein, we should want Hillary Clinton to be prosecuted for what she did because other people who aren't famous have gone to jail for doing less than what she did. And we should also want um, anyone who has participated in trying to subvert the election on the American side, not just the Russians, but uh, people on the American side, they should be prosecuted as well. Whether they work for the FBI or the DOJ, wherever, wherever they work, they should be held accountable as well. And so what we have to do So we have to humble ourselves and we have to fast and pray. And when we decide to do that as a nation, as as the Christians in this nation, we're going to start to see some justice and an end to the lawlessness that is at our southern border. But it's a symptom. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. That's what's going on here. We have not yet prayed and fasted and asked the Lord to move on our behalf to protect us in our southern border and also in the visa overstays. And because of that, we are seeing this lawlessness and, and we are be praying and fasting that our legislators would find their backbone, that these Republicans would find their backbone. So we know what we have to do. Okay. When we get back, we're going to have Jeff Dickens from Newsbusters. Come on, y'all. You know, the Newsbusters guests are always awesome and on point. So stay there. We'll be right back. Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. For the last two years, we've just had tremendous response, early response to the announcement that we're going to Israel on a Holy Land tour. We're going March of this year. We go March of every year. Last year, we filled up like early fall, and I expect us to fill up early fall this year as well. So if you're interested in this March 14th through the 22nd tour, and you'll be going with primarily supporters of AFA and AFR, just get the brochure and check it out. You can call us today at 800-FAMILIES, 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your address, and we'll mail you a brochure. If you simply want to go online, all the information is there. It's at twholyland.com, twholyland.com. If you want to go in March, we're filling up and we're filling up fast. 
So check it out, twholyland.com. Hello, this is Bishop Harry Jackson of Hope Christian Church in Beltville, Maryland. Jesus said you would do greater works than he did. God says, hey, if you do my will, I'm not only going to back you in ways you have never seen, I'm going to protect, I'm going to provide, and I'm going to be with you. Start small, but dream big. What's dreaming big? Dreaming big is knowing that God is going to use you, hoping against hope, not settling that I got to do the status quo and do what everybody else did in order to get this little bit that I want. I'm just one of the little people. I'm a nobody. All the big people today were nobodies at one point. Everybody that's famous now came through that, 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 that terrible tunnel of anonymity, of being looked over, passed over, refused, underfunded, left behind, rejected, dejected, subjected to whatever others wanted to put on them. But sometime, Psalm 66 says, of God, I have allowed men to ride over your head, but I brought you out into a wealthy place. God wants to bring you out, me out, as we start small and dream big, we're faithful and we walk in his anointing. We let God dream his dream through us. We operate in teamwork to the glory of his name. We let our little ego take a lower place to his glory. And God, bam, shows up and does something that we can't do. Join us this Sunday morning at 6251 Avondale Road in Beltsville or on the web at thehopeconnection.org. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or urbanfamilytalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there. We're still working on getting our guest, Jeff Dickens from Newsbusters. Um, I wanted to tell you guys about this story. And I, I feel like we're getting close to a place where everybody's just going to be so fed up. So you might have seen, and these, these two things connect together tangentially. You might have seen uh, last night uh, or this morning an announcement by CNN that they have suspended a contributor of theirs. His name is Paris Denard. He's a man I happen to know personally. Um, a generous individual, and I, I, I promise you, he really is that person that you see on television. He's very patient. He's very, he's an upstanding individual, and and I'm saying that because I, that's what I know of him. And so it's come to light that at a previous place where he worked, he was involved in some, um, basically some inappropriate behavior with some of his coworkers who were women. He was propositioning them for dates and things like that, and and also uh, using some language that was inappropriate for the workplace. He was fired for that behavior from that organization, and he went on to get other jobs. He's worked at a number of different places since then, and now he's with CNN, where you often see him. He's also a, a surrogate for the White House, where you often see him defending the president uh, and, and the president's policies. He did so in a clip that I did not play on the show, although I did watch it yesterday. It was from the night before that, where they were talking about the security clearances. And it might have been a couple of days ago. It all runs together when you're looking at so much audio. And um, in, the, in the clip, this 
former CIA person whose last name is Mud, Mr. Mud, was on there losing his mind because Paris Denard said that if you have an active security clearance, it makes you more valuable in the private sector to provide commentary. Or if you're a consultant in a consulting business, if you can say, I'm a current security clearance holder at the secret level, top secret, top secret SCI. So a secure compartmentalized, you know, so that that's even better than top secret. And there's even stuff above that. And if you can do that, Paris Denard asserted that you, you are able to earn more money. Well, Mudd took great offense to that and said he's not being paid and completely switched around what Paris Denard said. And he told him to get out. In other words, they're not in the same room, but he said, get out. A few times. He was really he off the chain. Paris didn't break a sweat. He just stuck with the conversation and continued to defend. And he did such a good job of it that the president tweeted Paris Denard and said, you know, perhaps Mud's security clearance should be snatched because he's, he, you know, he appears to be an unstable individual. Well, all of a sudden, after that interaction and a tweet from the president, now this old news about him getting fired from this job years ago is now current news and he's being fired again. Mind you, he's already been punished for the behavior once by losing the previous position, but now he has to lose the current position too. See the double standard there? So I want to I want to unpack that a little bit and we'll get back to it, but right now we're going to go to our guest, uh, Jeff Dickens of Newsbusters, and we're talking about this media coverage of the Manafort trial. Jeff, thank you for joining the show today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so let's talk about this. Apparently, the Manafort trial is the only thing that matters right now. Right, yes, the uh, Manafort trial, the uh Michael Cohen uh the media is uh pushing it and they're just they're they're bringing up the the I word already impeachment uh certainly on the cables yesterday MSNBC and CNN. Uh yeah, so it's it's uh they're kind of a one track mind at this point. So why is it because they're dancing around in their cloven hooves, as I have said many times today on the show, because they think impeachment is imminent? <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they uh, I mean, remember, everyone's in their own little bubble, and the little media is in their mm-hmm. bubble. They think that uh, uh, this, is, this is over, that this is how they're going to get Trump, and, and it's just only a matter of, <laughs> of time and days. And, and meanwhile, of course, uh, uh, the other side is our, our side is sort of just like, um, yeah, it's this is this is at most uh, you know a campaign finance violation possibly, and even that's really not clear. Uh, it, it's it's certainly nothing like uh, what happened. Uh, I did a piece yesterday about Whitewater, uh, where you had Bill Clinton, a sitting president who had to give a testimony at a trial involving his close friends and business partners, Jim and Susan McDougal, uh, that, that, you know, it, it was a fraud trial. So uh, it, it's, and they, they averaged uh, uh, only 36 seconds per night back in 96 on that coverage uh, on the evening news, broadcasting the news. And uh, this uh, time with the Paul Manafort trial, which didn't even last a month, they averaged two minutes and eighteen seconds per night. So I mean, I just I still I don't get it. I don't. So let, I just want to run down a couple things that I know are news that they could be talking about, like reality winner. Remember that name? This chick just got the longest sentence ever for leaking U.S. secrets to the news media, and she's pretty young. She got a sixty-three month sentence. Um, she was. 
sentenced by a federal judge in Augusta, Georgia. The longest sentence ever given for a federal crime involving leaks to the news media. This chick is literally like making news. That's that's news. And they're not going to. Yeah, they're not going to cover it. <laughs> right. No. And and the other the other point, too, is like the Manafort trial. There was nothing about Russia collusion. There was nothing about uh, Trump wasn't even involved with the, with the Manafort trial. I mean, this is you're talking the, the, the case was uh, Manafort himself uh, being involved in, in tax fraud cases. Uh, but, they're, you know, it was, you know, they're trying to you know, push him to flip. But uh, other than that, there really there's nothing here about Trump. Um, yeah. So I, that was one of the things that we saw on, and I, I just, I'm going to post the link to your piece over at Newsbusters. It's called flashback when the media didn't care about the president's criminal friends. And you kind of lay it all out right here. Like it's it, all the details, all the facts. So I'll put that in the, in, in the live stream. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the fact that, so this I don't know if you saw she's there's there's this great interview with uh, Manafort juror Paula Duncan and yes. she's talking about. Yes, you saw that. So what I found fascinating about her chat with Shannon Bream was that in certain instances during the trial, they had people come forward and testify. And when people testified that they found un- incredible, they were not credible to the jury. It was largely due in part to the fact that they flipped. So they were guilty, but they received immunity for their testimony and they flipped against Manafort. And so that kind of went against their credibility. And so by the same token, even though they want all of us to believe that Cohen is this upstanding library official, like he's, you know, when he's not baking brownies for boy scouts and girl scouts and pushing old ladies carts in the grocery store parking lot, he's, you know, manning, uh, I don't know, the library. I mean, they, they want (laughs) us to think he's just this wonderful person, but the fact is, he was the he was on the news in a clip saying he would do anything for President Trump. He would do anything for him. And then he flipped and said now that the president's guilty of collusion and he has evidence of all these things. So why would a jury consider his testimony and find it to be credible? And beyond that, why would the news media offer him this cloak of credibility after he's literally contradicted himself? Well, it's pretty clear. It's like uh, they, we just saw this recently with her good friend Amorosa where <laughs> they couldn't stand her, and now she's all over the news media because she's against Trump. It's really that simple. You're for Trump. Are you for the narrative in terms of building the case to get Trump impeached? Then we like you. If you're not, then no, forget you. You're not credible. It's, right. it's, it's, it's blatant. It's blatant. <laughs> Yeah, and so if you're just tuning into the show, I'm speaking to Jeff Dickens of Newsbusters. He's got a piece up over there. It's really good. Nice, nice, decent-sized read. So in other words, this is not a 1,500-word piece. You can get through it and get the gist of it. And it's great information to have at your back pocket because I, what I love is that you – so you're drawing a contrast between basically the same media. A lot of the same people work in the media now that worked in the media back when the Clinton scandals were our you know news of the day. And they had no problem with Bill Clinton testifying in a trial where if Trump were to testify anywhere, you know what they'd say? Well, he's guilty, you know. You know he's guilty, right? <laughs> you know he's guilty. They would, they would have a field day with that. Look at him. He's testifying as a sitting president. Look how he's dragging down the office of the presidency. I mean, I can imagine what they're saying about him if he were to do that. So I, I just like Chuck Todd, someone who expects to be taken seriously by people on the right. Um, 
He's using on the August 21st edition of his NBC Nightly News, the Paul Manafort stuff is serious. It shows you that Mueller's got plenty to go on here and it isn't a witch hunt. Based on what? Help me. Based on what? Oh, no. Have we lost our guest? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I, um, did. I didn't know no, who that was. I thought you were posing a hypothetical you, question. Like, based, sorry. Yeah. Based on, based on what can – how can Chuck Todd say that the Paul Manafort stuff is serious in relation to Donald Trump? It's serious for Paul Manafort because he's facing jail time. But it's not serious for Donald Trump because Donald Trump didn't even know Paul Manafort when these things that he's been convicted of were occurring. You're right. It's 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 it's, it's a really weak link, uh, and they, again, it's just they're trying to like build the. Well, interesting. All these verdicts came down at, at the same day, so they could sort of build this narrative of oh, Michael Cohen, uh, you know, uh, Trump's former attorney. Oh, Paul Manafort, Trump, you know, uh, former campaign manager. Even though, as you did point out, Manafort was working for this is all this stuff that happened well before Manafort was working for Trump and uh Manafort didn't even work that long with him. Uh but it's it is. It's just it's it's that narrative. It's just like, okay, can you help help build us be help build the impeachment case? And it doesn't matter that it's you know, barely linked. So turning to Cohen then, because I, I think the Manafort thing the thing about the Manafort trial and case that is most disturbing to me is that the man is being kept in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day. I cannot understand or fathom why that is being allowed, why the judge is forcing him to do that. Um, it's impacting his mental health if that's what's actually happening. You know it is. And so it's terrible. It's, it's, an, it's a miscarriage of justice, especially since it was done before he was convicted. It's one thing to put someone in solitary after they've been convicted of some heinous crime. It's another thing to keep them in solitary while they're being tried. It's just ridiculous. But I, I'm moving to Cohen, which that's what liberals are now calling their smoking gun. They've taken to calling the president of the United States an unindicted co-conspirator. Exactly what is it that Cohen could say that wouldn't be his word against the president of the United States? You know, unless he has some sort of like recordings or, I, you know, I, I mean, lately I've been kind of just sort of skeptical if there's, that there's anything there in terms of recordings. I mean, with uh, Amorosa like was bragging about, oh, I've got recordings, I've got receipts, and there's mm-hmm. nothing there. Like, I have yet to see anything. I see a lot of smoke. But I don't see any any actual fire when it comes to the, the whole thing. This whole all of the startup was about Russian collusion, and so far we haven't seen anything, anything that ties the Trump campaign to to, to Russia. Yeah, and but I at, at this point, you know, Jeff, I don't think the leftists care about Russian collusion anymore. They would love to be able to prove it, but they don't actually care about that. What they care about is getting something with which to impeach the president. And Maxine Waters doesn't even feel like we need anything particular. She feels like we can impeach him just because we don't like him. So it, with, with the Democrats looking at the midterms, does it feel to you as if the timing of this and the media furor surrounding this puts Mueller in jeopardy of having his investigation appear to be something that's being used to influence the midterm? Um, I think that's, that's that's already pretty clear. Um, you know, I mean, yes, I think if if the Democrats were to win in the midterms, and this, you know, this is the, I'm sure the media feeling a little bit to think this is going to help the Democrats win seats. Uh, yeah, the next two years will be the Democrats if they, again if they win control, or the, you know, will be them conducting hearings in in even as flimsy as certainly the Manafort thing here and 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 Cohen thing seems. Um, 
they can tie up Congress for the next two years. Uh, and that's what the liberal media wants. They, they, they just want to slow play. Even if it doesn't end in the Trump impeachment, they can just you know, kill the, the, the two years of, of Trump's first, first term, and then, they, you know, and then it's time for another presidential election. So that's, that's a big part of the plan here. Yeah, but I just don't see Americans letting that work. We, we're, we're right now on the air, you know, with this huge audience nationally, and it's the tip of the spear people. That's what I like to call, you know, the people who live in the more rural parts of the country, conservatives who are in big cities, but they, they still live like they're in the rural part of the country. You know, they know how to cook. Mm-hmm. They know how to clean their own, you know, their own homes and their, they take care of their own vehicles. They're very self-reliant gun owners people who go to church once or twice or three times a week, you know, those kind of salt of the earth folk are not seeing this just, it's a spectacle as something that's going to make them stop voting for Republicans. So do you see some other strategy that the Democrats are going to employ to get their voter base out other than look, he's evil. And some people he knows have been convicted of something. Well, that is it. That's what the media, the media and the Democratic Party, they're just going to push. Look, there's there's something there. And, uh, you know, we, and they're going to try to drive out their base. That's kind of where these elections are, are coming down to. Is like, can you get your base out? It's been that way pretty much since, I think, the, the 2000s. Uh, so the question is, you know, the media also, uh, conversely, in terms of driving up the Democrats and getting them all excited about impeachment, they want to depress the GOP base and, and, and Trump supporters and just say – and try to think, oh, no, it's, is there something here? And, and, and most won't be fooled, but who knows? Maybe some would be like, oh, gee, maybe there is something really bad here, and they, they won't come out to vote. So at least I think that's their game plan. Hmm. I don't see that working, but anything's possible. And I'd rather not look at the polls. I'd rather just have people be very motivated to go out and vote. Um, for the for the candidates they feel will represent them in the best way. Um, Jeff Dickens of Newsbusters, thank you so much for joining in today. Thank you so much. All right. Great to have you here on American Family Radio right. and Urban Family Talk. So that is another segment down. We're closer to the end of the show, y'all. Yeah. When we get back, we're going to be uh, talking about Ambassador Bolton. Or actually, he's changed jobs so many times. Look at me messing it up. He warned Russia on further election interference, making it clear that we won't tolerate meddling in 2018. We're going to talk about that when we get back. Stay there. it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. In practice each week, our team would run our plays against the look squad. That's what we call our backup players who simulate the other team's techniques as closely as possible. When we run a play and see it executed successfully in practice, we have the confidence to run it successfully during the game. Visualization increases chances of success not just in football, but in any area of life. Think of life as practice and the visions and instructions of Scripture as a look squad. When you read God's Word on a regular basis, you'll discover what your future holds. Seeing God in your tomorrow is the key to having confidence and courage today. New York Times bestselling author, Tony Dungy. 
Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. My name's Tim. I'm 17. All the male role models in my life did drugs, so it's no wonder I ended up just like them. I was down to 90 pounds when I came to Teen Challenge, but now I'm healthy and drug-free. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. There was a time where um, I was in the middle of doing something, and the Lord just, just really impressed upon my heart that I needed to buy my wife some flowers. I hadn't thought about it, hadn't done it in a while. And I walk into the door of our, our little small apartment, and I have the flowers in my hand, and my wife's eyes connect with mine. Her eyes just well up with tears. And I immediately start thinking, what's wrong? What happened? What's going on? And uh, she said, Abe, <laughs> I've been wanting some flowers, but I know what our financial situation is. And I didn't want to be an additional burden on you because I know things are tight now. And man, it was just a moment where my wife and I just fall more deeply in love with the Lord and more deeply in love with one another. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekday afternoons at 5 Central on Urban Family Talk. By relying on him. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. If I understood your introduction. We're going to listen now to Mike, uh, to, to Bolton, warning Russia on the further election interference. If I understood your introduction, it's, it's the issue, the discussions over election tampering, which was basically the barrier to a joint statement. Um, I'm wondering, did you hear anything today that gave you optimism that Russia was not committed to interfering in the midterm elections? And what messages did you specifically send to warn your counterpart today that that would not be tolerated by the U.S. administration? Uh, there, were, there were some double negatives in that question, if I heard it correctly. So at the risk of restating it, uh, uh, or to put my answer in the form of an answer to a question that might have been asked but wasn't, I made it clear that we wouldn't tolerate meddling in 2018 uh, and that we were prepared to take uh, necessary steps to prevent it from happening. Uh, we talked about it in a variety of ways in the uh, area of uh, cyber and information technology exchanges, which we had stopped between the United States and Russia uh, earlier this year. Uh, and I said at this point, I didn't really see the circumstances were right to resume them again. Uh, I don't want to understate how much progress we made in other areas, but in that area, it was uh, uh, as I've described. Okay, so cleaning this up a little bit, that is former Ambassador John Bolton, who is now the National Security Advisor in the Trump administration. And he's talking about 
um, this idea that Russia is still meddling in, in the election. And I'm so tired of this because they've done this all along. They did it to an unprecedented degree using Facebook this last time, but they're not going to stop. I'm glad that Ambassador Bolton is putting his foot down and making it clear to them that we're aware of what they're doing and we're not going to put up with it. But where was all of this outrage when Obama said, oh, it's it's nothing. He did almost nothing to stop it. And then he used the nothingness that he implemented that allowed it to occur to set Donald Trump up to be the fall guy for something that is really Obama's fault. He could have put the kibosh on this. He could have tamped down on what they were doing, but he didn't. Anyway, so before we had Jeff Dickens on, I was talking about uh, Paris Denard and this horrible, really horrible, um, you know, the treatment that he's receiving because it's a huge double standard. If you've already been fired for something and your new employer has hired you and then you've been hired again by someone else, then again by someone else, then if they're letting you go for something like this, you know what it is. It's CNN doesn't like Paris Denard coming on there and making their guests look like fools. And so now they want to get rid of him. They didn't have a good justification for letting him go. So they're using this as a way to just, well, he, he did something one time and me too. Hashtag me too. We can't expect much from CNN, honestly. But for people who are out there trying to make this sound as if it's like some recent allegations have come to the fore, how? It was an employment matter. How was, how was a sealed employment matter suddenly unsealed and made available to the media for the further persecution of Paris Denard. I refuse to join in on that pitchfork activity. I'm, I'm not going to do it. But it brings us to another tangentially connected incident, which is, uh, so you got the human rights campaign. You guys know about the human rights campaign. It's this organization that advances the uh, the agenda for the LGBT ETC XYZ movement. The human rights campaign has a, what they call an educational arm. That's pretty well funded and it's called the HRC foundation. So Mary Beth Maxwell resigned from the organization on Wednesday after a colleague of hers reported that she had used the N word twice in front of another colleague. In an internal email to staff sent out earlier today, HRC President Chad Griffin said Maxwell had used the racist term once when recounting an upsetting personal story and a second time when repeating the, the word in describing an external situation that she found horrifying in which racial and homophobic slurs were used. So in other words, this woman who I can't defend her ideology or the things that she does or even this horrible place that she works for or the other horrible place that funds the place that she works for but she's retelling an event that has occurred and she used the words that she heard which included profanity profanity and the n-word and for that she was fired well she resigned but she was forced out here's my problem with this in this new reality that we're finding ourselves in, we're actually seeing the obliteration of intent. And a key facet of American law is intent. So you can be convicted of breaking the law when you didn't intend to because you didn't know it was the law. Ignorance of the law is not a defense. But when it comes to more serious allegations like murder, things like that, 
intent can be something that either ratchets up the um, the severity of what you are charged with and the corresponding punishment, or it can ratchet it down. That's how you go from, you know, someone killing someone by accident and that that's manslaughter. It's the intent that changes it. They didn't want to kill them. They didn't even know that their action would kill them. And so that is, they have to be held responsible for killing someone, but it's manslaughter. And that's, you know, a good example of, of how intent is, is used in American uh, jurisprudence. And so when you're talking about that and you look at what she's doing here, so she didn't use the N-word as a slur against another person. She didn't use it in a joke to demean another person. She didn't use it in a close setting in which she felt that the other people with her were in approval of her use of the word. She used it in recounting stories where the word had been used. And instead of saying the N word, she used the word. And she was fired for that. So I feel like we're approaching a place where we're going to hit the wall on this type of kind of thought police, you know, speech police. And in parts of the country, we've already hit that wall. You openly see people, you see people openly flouting these new so-called rules uh, of order and convention because they're sick and tired of being told what they can and can't say. And it's these same people who fired her who would rapidly defend the use of the N-word in music and culture. And if you missed that program, I believe it was last week where we played audio from a pastor who was white, but he spent many, many years working in black churches and he talked about how in America it's okay for black people to make music about killing other black people. It's also okay for black people to make music about black women being, you know, women of the night and all kinds of other horrible things about black women. That kind of music is allowed when it's made by black men or other black women. We don't make music about white women being those things or Asian women being those things or even Hispanic women being those things. It's only black women who are allowed to be framed and ingrained in the minds of others as being people who sell themselves for sexual you know, intercourse and things like that. And so when you see the same people who defend that type of music and say, we need that kind of music, that's free speech. We only need it from black people, but we need that. But then... Someone recounting a story in which the N-word was used, another profanity, and telling the story as it occurred, using the words, that's a fireable offense? Perhaps she shouldn't have used the language at work. She shouldn't have told the story at work. I mean, those are all kind of, you know, internal employee-type conversations. But wouldn't a warning have been better? Look, this something happened to you. It was terrible, but you can't talk about that at work. But firing her and vilifying her or forcing her out. So in the memo that was issued to kind of cover what happened, they talk about her use of the term being inappropriate and harmful. And he told her that and then he accepted her resignation. He says in the memo that when the allegations were reported to human resources, the organization launched an investigation and upon receiving preliminary findings on Monday night, they immediately suspended Maxwell without pay. Then after he received the full findings of the investigation, he accepted her resignation. Now, Maxwell served in the Labor Department in the Obama administration and also wrote a note that was forwarded to all employees by HRC's chief of staff in which Maxwell, who led the organization for the past three years, called her use of the N-word a mistake that caused harm to people that she loved and the work that she holds dear. 
She says she holds responsibility for use of the words and she has deep regrets. She says, in each instance, I was conveying something that really happened. In the first, I was emotional and scared that it had been said. And in the second, feeling urgency about addressing a deeply racist and homophobic encounter that a colleague recounted, but I should never have said that word out loud, period. So I I abhor the use of the N-word. There's nothing like just going on about your business and having someone call you the N-word. It has happened to me in public twice now in my days on this earth. And it is something you just, you just, first of all, you don't expect it. And the second of all, it's just like at this crazy moment where you're like, what did they just say? That being said, there is, so hurling a, a, a racial slur at someone and recounting a horribly difficult story, something that's happened and retelling it in its, in, in its entirety, those are two separate things. One is sharing something painful and tough that happened. The other one is, you know, basically a verbal altercation. I find it interesting that this type of thought police and word police is happening. It's the left eating its own. This isn't a conservative think tank that this is happening at, although there's a story out today about something crazy going on in a conservative think tank list email. Um, we might have time to get to that as well. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just like an interesting day for, for news. But I find it interesting that this woman working at the Human Rights Campaigns Foundation, a fully leftist organization, that she's getting bitten for something that is supposed to be fully only the purview of Republicans. Remember, the only people who use the, the N-word are Republicans. The only people who are racist are Republicans. The only people who ever say anything that might be inflammatory or incendiary or painful for other people to hear, Republicans. Yet here we are, Mary Beth Maxwell, a dyed-in-the-wool liberal, working for a hard-left organization that really wants to radically change the landscape of America. She just got let go from her job for recounting a tale in which some other person used the N-word as a slur and somehow she's guilty of something for just telling that story. That's why this is so dangerous. Why it's so dangerous for us to allow liberals to frame how we communicate with each other and how we interpret our rights under the Constitution. That's why they don't like us giving out copies of the Constitution. Because anyone who's ever read it and the Bill of Rights understands that most of the stuff that they're trying to get us to agree to is unconstitutional. So, you know, I had a friend joke, uh, you know, up next, getting life in prison for using the word murder. (laughs) So, um, wow, they're, they're literally eating their own. So the other story, which is, is this, this is, I mean, only in America, only with liberals at the helm of almost everything. Here we go. You've got 80 minutes after a racially incendiary email or 80 minutes after a conservative person wrote in about being let go. So this is a speechwriter for President Donald Trump. His name's Darren Beatty. And he wrote, a listserv that had hundreds of conservative people on it. And he wrote the listserv to say, Hey, anybody on this list with media influence, please come to my defense. 
I've been dismissed because I spoke at a conference alongside a racial provo- provocateur. So I don't believe they spoke together. Like, you know how you're on a panel and you speak together. And sometimes people on a panel have radically opposing views. It's almost like a debate. But most of the time, panels are people who have some similar expertise or background or opinion. And they each weigh in on whatever the questions are from the moderator. Well, apparently, the speechwriter, Darren Beatty, was at a conference where a white supremacist spoke later in the program. So it there is no evidence that Darren Beatty knew the white supremacist or that he was in league with the white supremacist or that he agreed with his views. In fact, that is one of the things that happens at conferences. You'll be at a conference and you'll be speaking out one topic. And then later in the panels, there'll be someone else who is presenting the, op- op- the opposing view to what you've presented. And you can still be on the same side of the political aisle. But one person is saying, you know, we need to have uh, amnesty. And you're on another panel saying amnesty is the devil. It's what leads to illegal immigrant crime. We need to seal the border. So this happens. But without doing any investigating or finding out what exactly was the reason why they were both speaking at the same conference, like maybe looking at the schedule and seeing what they were each speaking about, Darren Beatty was fired from the White House. He asked for help. And all of a sudden, everybody starts chiming in and some racially incendiary things were said. And now the listserv has been disbanded. The listserv was a part of the Claremont Institute, which is a conservative think tank. So this infection created by the left where we can't say anything to each other and nobody can be offended has now it's infiltrated right-leaning think tanks and now they're disbanding stuff too there has to be some higher level thought that's available to us that could prevent us from going down this road god bless you i'll be back with you tomorrow lord willing have a nice night The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.